0: at greenlight.com slash acast. So that's not just intelligence as in knowledge, but emotional intelligence and then skills is every day you learn a new skill, you, you've got to add, you know, layer up your your skill sets.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue the conversation with successful property investor and owner of Blue Gun Property, David Glover. Learn about his 17-lot project, how he managed to flip a property and make hundreds of thousands of dollars despite untoward circumstances and much, much more. Glover who studied engineering at university still also works in the engineering space alongside his wife as he makes leaps and bounds when it comes to property.
0: I retired out of engineering, well semi-officially about four years ago. I finished a couple of Australian projects that we worked on and then um, but funny enough, uh, my wife's company is an engineering company so we're actually doing um, AI technology in the mining lumber um, defense space. So. so yeah part of my time at the moment is actually still um, but working in our own business and um, yeah we've got six people and we we're, we're working um, yeah to develop invelo into a much bigger organization and that is all engineering and currently working on a robotic gold mine in Queensland so I'm pretty much leading the charge on on uh, on that project and uh, but funny enough the guy that I'm working with on that mining project he he um, he has a pathways education facility and I've been putting together um, a, a 21 or 17 adjoining blocks but we can go to 21 up at Kabulcha uh, using a combination of call option contracts and, um, and a few other types of contracts and um, he's become our off taker um, through his network um, for that project and, um, yeah, it's so funny how the world works, isn't it, Tyrone, sometimes?
1: You're currently still doing engineering consulting for, you know, larger companies and projects like that. Is that what you mean?
0: Well, no, I'm, I, I suppose I'm, I, I'm like my wife's PA to tell you the truth. So Shana's a fellow. I, um, I look after some stuff around Shana. She, she uses me as a sounding board for what's going on. I've been running the project controls for and setting up the systems for that business in the background. And, um, so I'm not client facing at all. I'm basically facing my wife and um, helping her. He's my client and it's our business. So, you know, it's a, it's a substantial business already. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's it's fun. You know, I, I love doing that sort of stuff. You know, you're, you're creating your own business and, um, yeah, and one that's resilient. We have a very dear friend of ours that has a wonderful business in Australia called Aspen Medical, and so I've seen Glenn's journey there. His dad was my property mentor and my 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 hero in everything, and so yeah, we've been blessed to have that network and and um, inspiration, and also the fact that we can um, understand from them and get an insight from their systems and. And um, processes and and uh, yeah, how to set up and run a good business.
1: Glover tell us a little bit more about Ray, how he met him and his importance in his life.
0: Ray was Shana's, we call him grandfather but uh, he was a family friend of Shana's and so when I came over to Newcastle, Shana and I were riding horses together and that was Ray's horses that we were riding and so that's how I met Ray. Shana and Ray were very close, Ray gave Shana away at our wedding and um, he He had um, a career through the Air Force and then Ray's wife and himself, Laura and Ray had built a portfolio. They had a business. They were able to, um, back in those days, um, talk to the bank manager to get, you know, like um, a, a loan across the business, what you now call an overdraft, and they went into doing property and cosmetic renos, and I used to go and help Ray, you know, fix all these, you know, little issues at this massive block of units at Hamilton. And then it dawned on me that Ray owned the whole lot. <laughs> and um, so Ray was this awesome guy. He'd always wear shorts and, you know, would um, eat his lunch out of the back of the car and fix all the lights and all that sort of stuff. And he taught me a lot about cosmetic renovations and, and yeah, just, you know, being on the tools together. And, you know, we laid lots of carpets in places together and, and yeah, and then Lorna was definitely the brains behind them. She she was wonderful. She obviously, she knew a lot about bookkeeping and how to do that. And they raised a beautiful family and um, Ray and Lorna were extremely generous with their time and um, experiences. And yeah, he was um, yeah a real inspiration, a real hero to me.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And he's obviously got a, a quite successful portfolio, especially you mentioned him owning that block of units. What else do you think you also learned from him, too? So, you learned a bit of cosmetic renos, you know, he, he, he mentioned character. Mm.
0: Yeah, Ray was, um, yeah, the most amazing man.
1: He delves into a fascinating property project where he has been focusing recently which involves core option contracts and conversations with the council.
0: Yeah, this year I, I focused very much on, I, I came back wanting to do a bit more with other people's property and other people's money as a, as a journey and so I started to work a lot more on core option contracts. So funny enough, we'd started a, with a, a mate of mine a few years ago, we, we, we'd identified a great project opportunity and, and we'd taken a toehold and then off I went and um, started to talk to other people about doing a project and it was actually just going to be storage units okay and so it was a project and you know it was starting to involve other people which um, is a journey in itself when you start to, to learn how to help other people and coach and and it's tough when you you know it involves money and discussions around that with other people so that's a good journey in itself we um so then I started to to get into you know applying call option contracts, which took us to a to a group of um, six, and so it was looking really good for massive storage units. You know, one that you do the DA or you just flip off to National Storage or someone. So um, so we're getting ready for that. But then more and more people joined the project, and it evolved out to up to then twenty thousand square meters, and so. I had a real problem to solve because then it was something way out of my um, like my little uh, you know world, and so we started going and having conversations about. So you start dropping the word like precinct instead of project, you know. So we're like, oh, is this a health area, or is this an education, or an entertainment? So you start delving into suburb analysis, where you go this is not only what I could do, but this is what the suburb really needs. And so then you start to say, well, okay, well, who do we need? What stakeholders do we need to involve?" So you're like, let's talk to council. Let's talk to people. Let's talk to people that would, you know, want to have an aged care facility or an entertainment complex there. And and then maybe I, I sort of was in that hunt when I, you know, said to Shane about and he's like, well, we're looking for an education precinct. And I was like, okay. And all those conversations with council and I. Uh, an awesome counselor up there that you know of the area he'd um he'd given us a really good tour of his vision of caboolture and so we were like great Councillor hey that's an awesome vision love it shared it big time and said and then funny enough i'm in melbourne a week later um and the um, and shane goes oh you know we really need a place that's got an agricultural vision and somewhere with aviation i'm like oh wow have you ever heard of caboolture <laughs> and um he was like yeah, well, actually, I have and so um, so off it went from there.
1: In regards to this project, Glover explains in more detail the numbers and what kind of area or community it will turn into when it's done.
0: We're working through at the moment. We've we've currently got um, seventeen adjoining titles together. Um, I've got ten call option contracts and a mixture of other other commercial agreements on the other seven and potential to go to 21 and yeah around sort of 35,000 square meters and so now we're off learning all about pathways educations and requirements for students that um, you know need um, accommodation and there's a huge growth market in year 9 to year 12 there's a lot of education being required outside of the mainstream school education so we believe we've got another line there to follow I'm going to to keep looking for for places that will um, provide these educational facilities so you build them the right way and and um, and then yeah it's, think of sort of like a TAFE type of idea where you have hairdressing shops and motor mechanic shops and all that built into your facility It has led to trying to get the money for it which is a whole new journey in itself the last three months.
1: Glover lets us know what a core option is and how it can help someone purchase property in the future with a set time frame and price.
0: So call option gives you the uh, the ability to purchase someone's property. So it's like a forward facing contract. So you you simply say, Yeah, we, we sort of want to put all these titles together, but I, I can't buy you out right now. But I can what we'd like to do is put the project together. So we need a commercial ability to put adjoining titles together. We need to find someone to fund the development application that would go across all of the titles. So there's your value add, right? So the DA would always stay with the title. So you, um, you you need to have that vision about what you're trying to create. So we said to everyone, look, we, we, we want to build these big storage units, right? So it fits into the town plan. We can put the DA together. Once we have the DA approved, we'll either try and execute it by getting it funded ourselves or we sell it to someone that does Mass storage unit, and there's about six of those companies in Australia, right? So that was the vision and the plan. And you go, so the call option agreement gives you the ability to to be able to purchase that at some time in the future with the time frame at a set price. And um, and yeah, you can you provide value to the title holders because they're going to get a large uplift. They don't need to spend the money themselves on the DA. And individually, they can't do anything except really big market price where um, we can effectively offer them 20 to 25% more by the fact that if you collaborate, then you can um, you can then do a, a large enough project that an off-taker um, can extract enough value out of to be able... To, so it's a value lift everywhere. When you look at it, it's a win-win-win situation all around.
1: So essentially, you're creating a whole new community because you're able to join say these 17 lots together to form um, something that's going to be substantial with commercial, residential and, and so forth which is amazing and, and the good thing is you don't have to necessarily purchase the, all these properties outright because I'm just I couldn't imagine how much it costs to purchase all these but you're able to go through and do the DA process and work with council and, and get all this in place. So there would be, I I would assume there'd be very strong, tight contracts in place because what happens if say, for example, one of the lots do decide to change or a bunch of them decide to change their mind, don't want to go ahead? What happens in those kind of
0: scenarios? For sure, then you're done because it's, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, they they own the title at all times. So the call option contract, they can't get out of. They give you that window for that time and it's locked in place and so they can't but the other... The other ones that um, we have different, so more like joint venture type documents with, um, yeah, they could pull out. And if they do, we have backup plans. Like we can break the project into smaller ones or we can literally build around them. Um, yeah, I've being an engineer, I've, I've got a lot of contingencies um, in there. But you've also got to have a bit of, it goes past a bit of trust in this. You've got to end up with a bit of faith as well. So, um you have to develop rapport, then you've got to develop trust. And then um, and yeah, it's got to be seen as a collective effort. Um, and so they don't see you as a developer or the enemy, right? They, it's just seen as a collaborative effort and a call option contract is, is just the commercial tool that we utilize to be able to achieve what we're trying to do.
1: I've heard a lot of success stories behind that because a lot of people haven't had to spend too much money except for the DA. And the DA, I, I don't know roughly how much it costs for the project like this but you know they can range in the six figures to be able to do projects like this. Is that correct to say? Yes. So, you're, you're really spending the money up front to try and put all this project together to get it done through and, and approved through council without having to necessarily purchase these blocks and hopefully, once that's all been approved, the uplift across the blocks should be able to return... The, the I guess the title owners and uplift at least minimum twenty percent by the sounds of it. And then the future commercial dealings in yourself will be able to take a, a reasonable size, I guess, some um, profit from it as well too. So it's win win for everyone.
0: Win win win, yeah. Win for the community. Win for the current um the current owners. And um yeah, it's a yeah, I like to look at it that way. It's a win 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 for everyone.
1: Glover tells us about a time when he made hundreds of thousands of dollars by flipping a property despite untoward circumstances.
0: I did a development application on one of the... So when we... we um, all the family, we, we moved up here to a place near Bean Lee and, and I brought it knowing that I could subdivide it. So we did we did the DA where we could change it to, to a 14-block um, community. And um, so we did the DA and, um, and I was so focused on going through to building 14 houses right and I had my funding lined up and everything and I went to go and get my operational work permits and at the time my fund of the Commonwealth Bank had their first big issue with their mortgage brokers and they they went quiet for two weeks and so I was wanting to execute this DA of 14 subdivision and um, and then my funding had vaporized and um Funny enough, I'd already had two people chasing me to buy the project off me and um, and so I just um, I, I flipped it and um, I sat back and I went, wow, you know, like I just made hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, you know, basically by all the work that I did on the engineering of doing the DA and the execution plans and having it ready to go. And that was where I really learned my skill set was in the project planning phase and the in the commercials out front the organization and that the actual execution and the groundworks and all that was um, was not my place so um, so yeah I'm much better in the vision and the putting it together and and best for me to sell at that stage and um, yeah and get out so that was great learning through some very awkward moments <laughs> it's very when that happens.
1: It's a great thing because one, it can mitigate the risk when you think about it sort of strategically because to actually go ahead and, and a build, there's also additional cost that's involved and time as well and potentially opportunity cost.
0: Getting your money out is hard.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, that's why I was just thinking, you know, you, you've actually exited perfectly at the right time because not only have you also completed the the management of the whole project but you've also made quite a lot of money behind it too. So, like how long did that project take roughly to get the DA approved? Oh, not too bad.
0: It only takes about six months.
1: Gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> now, who wouldn't love to do things like that? You know, this is this is where I think listeners would be probably leaning in and go, hey, David, tell us a little bit more how you did more of these kind of deals.
0: We made 80 grand in five weeks only last year on a title split. Yeah, there's ways to do it but you've got to find the right properties that have the titles that will allow you to do it but title splits are a a very lucrative um, spot but you've got to have a lot of knowledge. You've got to know how to find them, you've got to know how to negotiate them, hold them, you've got to get it through council. Yeah, there's there's a lot to it. Yeah, 20 years of experience before you get to do that I'm afraid.
1: Prior to these kinds of projects, Glover lets us know what he did in the world of property and also informs us of the importance of getting on the ground and doing the work to execute projects and bring life to them.
0: Mainly cosmetic renovations, the Airbnb's, the title splits, yeah, um, all that occurred until I did that DA, and then yeah, and then started to yeah realize that it's better for me to now work more in um, you know finding these properties, you know, so as a buyer's agent I can find these opportunities, but I've also got the team, the capability to execute um, it's one thing everyone can show you a PowerPoint presentation and a great email that says, yeah, you'll get 7%. And if you do a cosmetic reno, it will go up by 30 grand. That's, that's okay on an email, but, um, someone still has to execute those projects. You still got to have boots on the ground, you know, hands in gloves, you know, skip bins, you know, (laughs) that's, that's where you are really, yeah, it's one thing to say it on paper. It's another to deliver it on the ground. And, um, yeah, so yeah, we're good at that.
1: Yes, and, and that's the other thing. There's so many things that could potentially come up that's unforeseen when you're doing a renovation because until you start ripping things apart, you don't know what's behind it. So, you know, there could be delays, there could be additional things that require extra costs and and that's the challenge that we all face and we know with, with renovations but at the same time, if you're doing what you're doing which is getting DA approval, subdividing, title searches, all that kind of stuff, it, it's kind of a process really of managing and bit of paper shuffling but at the end of the day you know the end result is that you're going to get something greater for the community but not all, all on top of that you also make money as well too with less intense work
0: yeah the shell street project's been very systemized we uh, i mean you, how can you put 17 blocks together if you don't have a very good system behind you you know crms you, uh, we're dealing with over 120 people in that project just um it's so it's um it's, yeah, so you have to run a very good systems, not only communication and feedback to people. you got to run commercial systems. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, systemizing a business is, um, yeah, it's a journey in itself.
1: Going back to the 17-lot project, Glover takes us through the steps he has taken so far in trying to complete it
0: we identified the opportunity two years ago we took our first um toehold a couple of years ago and then i got distracted on a couple of mining projects and uh and a couple other property projects and then um got refocused onto it and um it actually has been a six month journey so we put our first block together a call option contract six months ago and then over the last six months once we went from that i suppose firebase you know where we had those six titles we've now having people come to us and the adjoining neighbours and wanting to join the project, so the last addition came from um, a neighbour who said, "Oh, I really want to join your project." And um, so that's that's been good. It took six months of, of talking to everybody, to uh, knocking on doors, talking to people, to to expand that out. It takes at least three months to go through commercial negotiations with people, and then um, and then you've got to find your off taker. And that's been probably the journey about there has been the last four months finding the off taker, and um, that included also I spent a lot of time in Melbourne um, talking to the finance world, trying to put together. Um, so when I said other people's money, it's it's things like so you could do a joint venture in a way, or you could take private lending from people, or you can find a property syndicate and. Um, Yeah, so we just got the phone call a couple of days ago as well. That said, we finally got the property syndicate um, authorized. So that's through uh, uh, Vicalic Finance who Nick just got, um, you know, his first major um, property syndicate authorization. He's got a financial license. He's very good in the finance world. And um, so, yeah, sometimes now that's opening up huge opportunities for us now because now I've got a whole list of people that will loan me money privately, but I also have a an opportunity now to tap a syndicated um, source of funds. So we will go with a joint venture with this um, off-taker and we will, um, it's a family operation that have a mining and a construction background. So we will complete our commercials with them. But if all that falls down, I can always fall back to the syndicate. So um, it's an interesting time at the moment.
1: Glover informs us as to what exactly an off taker
0: is. The person that's going to take the project. So, in this case, the um, the Greater Brisbane um, Pathways Education Centre is the off taker, the buyer of the project. So, they will, and effectively the money funder. So, for me to pay out all the contracts, the money's got to come from the off taker. So, you think of it in mining terms, right? The off taker is you know, the person that buys our product that we produce, and it's the same in project world. Um, the off-taker is the purchaser of the property.
1: He also tells us what his job is as someone who's putting together these lots and how these projects make money.
0: Two structures, yeah, we're actually because we're putting a business in and we'll have a, um, an entity that owns the, um, the actual buildings and then we'll have an entity that actually runs the education pathways. And then things like, you know, we, you know, you'll make money off billboards and putting on a telecom tower and all that sort of stuff that we do as well.
1: Furthermore, he tells us how long he needs to finish this project.
0: We've got at least another 6 to 12 months of commercials to, to tidy this right through. We'll construct probably by, we'll want to start constructing by the end of uh, 2020. I think I've got about a two-year construction timeline so we'll put our first students in definitely by um, 2023.
1: Wow. So this is not definitely not for the faint-hearted. <laughs>
0: no. no, it's not.
1: Coming up after the break, we'll delve into the many excellent resources David Glover has utilised on his property journey.
0: And I'll mix it up with um, marketing, you know, um, Australian marketing as well. You know, Timbo Reed's really good. The
1: habit that has made a big difference in his everyday life and contribute to his success.
0: It's been a lifesaver. the uh, The last twelve months, you know, like because I still, well, I've gone back to play. I play masters AFL, and that requires a, a certain amount of fitness.
1: His greatest advice for when it comes to giving back to the world and society?
0: Explain to people what you're trying to achieve, and you know, and Rotary just does a fantastic service to the world and um, to the local environment. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum, and you're
1: listening to Property Investory. Glover shares with us his love for reading and the kind of topics he reads about, including a book recommendation of a volume that has inspired him.
0: I'm a big reader. I probably read a book a week at least. Um, I have read a lot all over my life, lots of various stuff, um, and I'm not, you know, um, afraid to sit down with with people that are 20 years older than me. And I always try and learn their story. It's um, it's just a wealth of experience. So books. I podcast regularly. So every morning at the gym, it's a property. Um, so twice a week, I listen to you. I've got um, Brian Buffini's, a, a big influencer of mine in America. I love Brian's stuff. Um, but I also spend some time with people like Brooke Castillo that does, um, you know, she's very good on mindset stuff. Um, and I'll mix it up with um, marketing, you know, um, Australian marketing as well. You know, Timbo Reed's really good. Um, so you've got to mix it all up. you got to um, go far and wide in what you're listening to. Be careful on who you listen to. and um, But then when you find your tribe, you know, um, stick to them yeah listen to their podcasts um yeah re- i read a lot it gives me a chance to read i'm very tactile so i love john hale's book the strategy book and um you, you know he was the first book where he actively wants you to to doodle inside the book like grab the book and he gives you space to really write a lot of notes so if you take you know something like rich dad or poor out it's a very compressed book and you might be trying to underline things but it's you know, it's a bit messy. Where John exploded it, so you could um, build out your models and, and create visual models of what you're trying to achieve. He
1: goes on to tell us more about the strategy book by John Hale and what he believes makes it so useful.
0: John Hale's just released. A, it's a strategy book, and John's a very spiritual man himself, and um, he's he's released it on Amazon, and he's um, only been out about a month, and um, and he's into his second book right now, and. Um, yeah, it's it's called um, strategy, and um, and he's got a six step process in there, and it, it basically is great for you to get some focus around you yourself and sort of the value that your business is going to provide. That's the first I've heard of
1: in being able to allow people to do that, you know, in a book. Because sometimes when I'm reading a book, I just don't want to like write in it because I, I like things that are clean and, and neat. But if he's saying you know there's space for you to do that, I think that's great because it interacts in the book because people don't get to do that anymore.
0: And I like the spiritual aspect as well. It's um, Yeah, the world of property and business is losing its faith and spirituality and yeah, I think we need some of that back.
1: When asked about what's the best advice he has ever received on his journey, Glover is quick to answer.
0: My nana always told me to find my limit and I always responded to her, yep, I found it but I kind of overshot it, didn't I? For
1: Glover… Physical exercise is extremely important, and something which he does on a regular basis for reasons which he shares in detail.
0: It's been a lifesaver. the uh, The last twelve months, you know, like because I still well, I've gone back to play. I play masters AFL, and that requires a, a certain amount of fitness. And so I realised, you know, I got the mid forties, and I probably wasn't as fit as I used to be. And um, you know, you, you deal with you know a lot of mental health journeys. Everyone does, you know, and so. The, the gym has been um, a fantastic arena to complement you know my, um, my my AFL master's fitness and we did some park runs this year as well and we did some of the charity runs and yeah you've got to underpin your week around physical activity that's that's the start that that then leads on to what you do with your alcohol intake it leads on to what you do with your food intake it leads on to how you interact with people, you know. If you get a, a, you know, a good start of the day in the gym, and you've, you know, listened to a good podcast, then you generally tend to find that you, you know, you have a good coffee with someone. You you interact better with people. You're, yeah. You've got to watch our interactions. You know, I think social media has created a, a shortness in the world that needs to be counteracted with, you know, more coffee and more coffee conversations. I call them.
1: He also gives us some life advice when it comes to giving back to the world and society.
0: Go find an organization. If you can't give 10% of your salary to an organization that's doing well in the world, then go give 10% of your time. I, I love our Rotary Group. I've been part of the Rotary Group here for a little while now. And and um, I see that as, yeah, 10% of my time giving back to service above oneself. And, and they've got wonderful creeds, you know. We've got the four-way test and you've got to stand up every week and you have to... Basically, justify what you've done in the world to make it a better place. You know, not justify, that's the wrong word, but explain to people what you're trying to achieve and, you know, and Rotary just does a fantastic service to the world and um, to the local environment. So, you need to um, find something in your life. If you can't give 10% of your your salary, then give 10% of your time.
1: If Glover could meet himself 10 years ago, he would have several pieces of advice for him
0: need to slow down like you know slow down not so much what i was you know trying to do but um i would have told him yeah slow down think through things to another level a bit more seek better mentors you know don't be afraid of coaching listen to advice you know like um yeah we um there's there's people out there that will um We'll nudge you along in the right way, and there's some, I suppose, in the wrong way. But yeah, I should have um, yeah thought through to a deeper level. It's challenging. Ten years ago is when we were, you know, bringing kids into the world. You know, so um, yeah, I think that that in itself is a is a journey too, isn't it? So let's talk a little bit about the last question. I wanted to ask you:
1: How much of your success is due to your skill, intelligence, hard work, and how much of it is because of luck?
0: No luck. Uh, Skill, skills, okay. Intelligence is okay. Hard work is good. So, um, it's a combination of, for me, probably too much hard work. Um, probably could have smart worked smarter. Probably, intelligence is um, is always expanding. I, I try and read a lot. I'm getting better at understanding the right questions to people to to really understand you know, intent and understanding and, and getting to a deeper level of knowledge there. And then so that's not just intelligence that's in knowledge but emotional intelligence. And then skills is every day you learn a new skill. You, you've you got to add, you know, layer up your, your skill sets. Always try and, yeah, like it was a journey to try and learn how to play AFL a couple of years ago, you know. Um, my kicking was horrible but two years later, you, um, you finally nail it, you know, I, I might get more than one point, you know, you never know.
1: <laughs> Thank you to David Glover, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.